It's out, the annual tally of contract protests filed by companies both before and after agencies have made awards, all compiled by the Government Accountability Office, with whom they file protests. The numbers aren't drastically different, but there are some important trends. Here with the numbers and the analysis, Federal News Network's Jason Miller. And Jason, let's start with some of the basics. Give us a roundup of the statistics on protests in the past year that GAO has published. Tom, this is one of my favorite times of the year because what the bid protests report to Congress every year really reflects is really in many ways the state of the federal acquisition community. And when protests are up or when protests are down, you really get a sense of, okay, what's really happening behind the scenes. And in 2021, we saw a 12% decrease in the number of bid protests, about 1,897 down from 2149 in 2020. And what's really interesting about this is a couple things. Number one, the number of protests are down again for the second year in a row. They were down in 2020. And in fact, they were down in 2019, so third year in a row. But the other thing that is down is the effectiveness rate and the number of ADR cases, alternative dispute resolution. But really, the statistics really stayed the same in in many regards, except for, and this is what's interesting, Tom, is if you remember, GAO started to hear bid protests for task and delivery orders. In the civilian world, it had to be over a $10 million task order or delivery order. And in the DOD world, Congress changed that in 2018 to be over $25 million for a single, you know, for an award that could be protested. And, And those numbers really stood out to me is they stayed the same, about 401 task and delivery order protests in 2021. Now, that is down from 2020, but the protests and the numbers, the, the percentages are, are higher. So if you think about the number of protests are down, but the number of task and delivery order protests that make up that 1,897 number are a higher percentage, 21% compared to 19% in 2020 and actually 17% in 2019. So you're seeing this increase. And I think that to me, Tom, has been one of the biggest things that stood out in this year's report. In many ways, that reflects the way contracting is going, which is to use task orders against GWACs and multiple award contracts, that sort of thing, as opposed to greenfield open competitions then, fair to say? We've been seeing this for years that more and more are going to task and delivery orders, more and more are going to IDIQs and GWACs and multiple award contracts, yet everyone's been kind of waiting for the the protest numbers to increase, and they really haven't. And while they peaked in 2020 at 417, they're basically about the same over the last few years. It was 356 in 2018, 373 in 2019, Again, 417 in 2020, down to 401 in 2021. What's interesting is, though, the higher percentage of those that are being protested now are task and delivery orders compared to several years ago. And are there any lessons then for agencies or contractors? Are there patterns in these task order protests that people can discern what not to do from? (laughs) I think the biggest lesson that you can take from this, and I talked to several different experts. I talked to Eric Crucius, partner with Holland and Knight, and Barbara Kanowski, who's a manager partner of Center Law and Consulting, and both kind of pointed out that the reasons for why GAO says the top reasons why uh, vendors protested are really interesting. Uh, the first one, of course, is has been the same for forever, te- unreasonable technical evaluation. So, hey, you did not look at my uh, skill set properly. You didn't give me enough uh, points or enough credit. I, I should have gotten more. But number two last year was flawed discussions. Now, this is really interesting. Now, I, I talked to uh, Eric Crucius. One of the things he pointed out was that flawed discussions mean you had a discussion with vendor X, but you didn't have it with vendor Y. Then we found out about it, and now we're calling you out on it. And you know, sometimes that can happen because there was more, for instance, email traffic during the pandemic because we couldn't meet in person. There were it was harder to have these discussions. Because, so so things were done again 
not in a, not in a in person way, but but in a more electronic way. So therefore, you could submit a FOIA or or however you get the copy of the discussions, and you can make your case. And GAO seemed to say, yeah, this is happening more and more. And in fact, Barbara Kanowski mentioned to me in the past that really was not protestable because it was so subjective. But for whatever reason, last year, it, was, it became a little bit more objective and, and GAO looked at it. The other two that round out the top reasons was unreasonable cost or price evaluation and, of course, unequal treatment. Now, one thing that is also interesting that you can look from this is, and this is something that Emily Murphy, the former GSA administrator and now a senior fellow at the George Mason University School of Government Contracting, pointed out to me, the use of enhanced debriefings from DOD as well as from GSA also could be attributable to this decrease in the number of protests. And it's interesting to see if this use of enhanced debriefings will continue to increase. We've seen, for instance, DOD mandated by Congress. And in fact, in the House version of the Defense Authorization Bill for 2022, DOD has been instructed to give Congress a briefing on their use of these enhanced debriefings uh, by the end of this year. So we'll see if it gets passed into law and everything else. There's some some changes happening in the world of bid protests, and it's, it's so exciting, Tom. It is, and I don't think any contractor's ever been totally satisfied with debriefings, much as the government has tried to move that needle over the years. And speaking of protests, you're also reporting on one for a yet-to-be-awarded deal, CIOSP4. Tell us about that contract. What's going on there? This is from NITAC, the NIH IT Assessment and Acquisition Center, and, and they put out a big multiple-award contract the follow-on $50 billion ceiling for, called CIO SP4. And this has faced a ton of protests. Tom, there were 23 protests that the NIH has faced, and they've won 22 straight, except for, right, all of a sudden they lost one recently. And, and this is uh, from the Computer World Services Corporation filed a bid protest around joint ventures. Sometimes when a large company teams with a small company to form almost a, I don't want to call it a separate company, but a partnership that they can go after a contract. And what NITEC required was they said, we will only accept two examples of your past performance for a large business involved with a small business in a mentor-protege joint venture. But for nobody else, again, small business with another small business with a joint venture or mentor-protege, you could submit as many as you like. So they said, well, why are you only allowing two for the large business? And basically, NITEC had no good rationale. And GAO said, you know what? If you can't explain it to us, then you can't explain it to the vendor. And therefore, we will sustain this part of the protest. So this was the first protest win in 23 tries against the CIOSP4 contract. And that's significant because right now NIH is in the middle of looking at proposals. And so either they have to stop and take a step back or they have to change the acquisition or change the solicitation in some way, or they could ignore GAO altogether. That is an option. Right. It sounds like they just didn't want to be overwhelmed with paperwork describing joint well, ventures. If that was the case, then they could do that across the board and tell everybody, right, your past performance, we only want two from everybody. But because they allowed three from a joint venture mentor-protege relationship of a small business and a small business, or a teaming agreement between a large and a small business, why they had different rules for a large business teaming with a small business as a joint venture under the mentor-protege program didn't make sense. And that ended up as unequal treatment because they were using a scorecard system and therefore this large business, small business, mentor-protege joint venture could not get as many points as some of these other folks, and that's considered unfair or un unequal treatment. All right. Well, that's been a long time of coming, that whole program. Hopefully, they'll get around this one. Federal News Network's Jason Miller, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Tom. And check out his stories at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. 
Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. And that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon. Um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me. And he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, 
it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and... Um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, 
we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.